You're listening to Live Law, true stories about the law told live. I'm Nancy Malone. This Live Law story is from Calvin Duncan. Calvin told this story at Live Law 5 in Albuquerque at the Soros Justice Annual Meeting in July of 2014. The theme of the show was one moment. I'll tell you this much. If you're accused of a crime, this is a man you want on your team. There is no one like Calvin Duncan. Here's Calvin. What law has always meant to me is service, serving other people in situations that, that's unbelievable. Our criminal justice system is, woo, it's, it's not just broke, it's terrible. So when I got arrested in um, 1982 for a crime that I didn't, com- didn't commit, they put me on a tier called B1. And when I got on that tier, everybody was telling me I was going to get the death penalty without, me, without even knowing the facts of my case. They said, boy, you're going to get executed. I said, but you don't even know what I'm in prison for. And so I started asking around. I said, what can I do to help myself? My lawyers wasn't coming to see me, and it looked like everybody on the tier was condemning me because they had already been condemned themselves. Some of them had the death penalty. Some had already been sentenced to life. And a lot of them was in prison for things that they didn't do. So I asked a guy named Joe Washington, I said, how can I help myself? And he said, boy, in order to, in order to avoid being executed, you're going to have to learn the law. So I said, well, how can I learn the law? He said, well, you get your law book. Well, we didn't have any law books at the time. And I, I had no clue. I had a ninth grade education. And so I started asking around, said, man, who, who could teach me law? And it's like, man, nobody. But they had guys that was on the tier that had a, had a lot of involvement, involvement with law. And they also had guys on the tier that, and I noticed that a lot of them was mitch, mitch, uh, missing. They had hockey look, looks. They, they was missing their two front teeth. <laughs> and all of them had been to Angola. And I said, damn, something is wrong here. <laughs> But the institution would not provide dentures. So guys told me, well, what can be done for these guys if you could file a civil suit? And so I draft up a civil suit for a friend of mine, and I argued that he has an Eighth Amendment right to receive dentures because when he's chewing his food, he cannot probably digest it. <laughs> and everybody said, that's stupid, man. You're not gonna, that's not going to work. <laughs> but it did work. And so my journey started, then I, be, I, I knew instantly I was a lawyer. <laughs> but I still didn't have my law book. And so I filed a civil suit myself because they had placed me in a dungeon without due process. Without, they told me I had a right to present a defense at a disciplinary board, and I didn't get that. So while in the dungeon, I filed my, 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 my individual 1983. And um, they put me back on the chair, and I asked Joe Walsh, and I said, oh, man, what you think is going to happen when I go to court? He said, the first thing they're going to they gonna do is impeach you. Well, impeachment to us was that they wasn't going to allow me to testify. So I said, what can I do, Joe, to stop them from impeaching me and not allow me to testify? He said, well, look, you can file this motion. This motion will stop them for asking you these 
questions that would impeach your credibility. I said, okay. So I draft up the motion. And I went to court. I said, Your Honor, I, 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 I mailed the motion to the court, and you hadn't ruled on it. And she said, what motion is, are you referring to, Mr. Duncan? I said, well, you have it. And, but before I left the tear, I asked Joe, what is the name of this motion? I, and he told me. And so I went to court. I said, Your Honor, I filed a motion of lying. And the judge said, lying? And I said, yeah, I filed a motion of lying. You have not ruled on my motion. So the clerk said, can I see the motion? I, I handed her the motion. And she said, Your Honor, that's a motion of limited. I said, that's the motion. <laughs> I said, that's the motion that I'm referring to. And she said, denied. <laughs> so uh, it's obvious you, you all know the answer, uh, what happened next. I lost my civil suit. And then I start saying, look, I got it. I say, Joe, you told me that motion was a motion of lying. Why you did that? He said, I just wanted to see what you was going to do. <laughs> I, I just wanted to see if you believe what I told you. <laughs> but I still didn't have my law book. And I still was facing a capital offense. And everybody was telling me that I was going to be executed. So I was trying to figure out how can I help myself. So I start preparing another motion. This time I sent this motion to the Louisiana Supreme Court and I said, my lawyer's not coming to see me and I, there's no access to any legal material. And I titled that motion a motion for a law book. <laughs> and everybody told me that is a stupid motion. <laughs> I sent it to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said you sent it to the wrong court. They sent it to the Fourth Circuit. Fourth Circuit said you should have went to the trial court. I said, well, how can I get anything from my trial judge that has had six jury trials? Don't believe nothing that anybody tell him in the criminal district code other than the DAs. But he, they referred the case to the um, trial court, and I went to court, and I got my 1982 criminal code. <laughs> now I am a lawyer. <laughs> and that started my career in helping other people get access to the court. I was ultimately um, found guilty. The jury rejected the death penalty, and I was sent to Angola. While in Angola, I became an inmate lawyer, 23 years. 19 of those years was working for the guys on death row. But one of the things that, we, I, I, that hindered me from doing a good job, not that I didn't have education. I didn't think I needed one. Because <laughs> I could continue to file them stupid motions. <laughs> and I started helping people. And one time I was researching this case about insufficiency of evidence, and um, I was also working the mental health unit, and I came across this guy that, uh, first before I met him, I had read about his case, researching for another guy. And while I was making my rounds, this guy, for some reason, he was woke that day. His name is Carlos Poré. And he introduced, I said, well, what is your name? He said, I'm Carlos. I said, you Carlos Poré? He said, yeah. I said, man, you shouldn't be here. He said, man, I killed the person and I shot nine other people. <laughs> I said, but you still should not be here with us. And I said, can I work on your case? He said, there's nothing that you could do for me. I said, I got your appeal decision. I said, do you have your transcript? No. I said, but I got your appeal decision. Let me work on your case. And so with his appeal decision, 
I, I submitted a petition to the, um, to the trial court, and I said the state Supreme Court got it wrong. This guy should not have been found guilty. He should have been found guilty by reason of, of insanity. And the Fourth Circuit and the Supreme Court was wrong. And the trial judge said, I'm, I'm sympathetic to what you're saying, but I can't reverse the um, higher court. But ultimately, we went into the federal court, and the federal court agreed. And Carlos was, um, he won his habeas corpus relief application. And he was sent to a mental institution where he's supposed to be, other than being in Angola for 18 years. But I still had a problem because I still couldn't get access to people records. And I had to litigate Carlos' petition um, without his records. So a good friend of mine that was in, that's in CCR and still is in CCR named Albert Woodfox, I said, man, what, am I, what, what can I do to help these guys and I don't have their records? And he started thinking, Albert, he thinks a lot. <laughs> and Albert said, man, look, you know what I'm going to do? Let's start an organization on the street. I said, well, we ain't on the street. <laughs> he said, I got somebody going to start our organization called Retrieval of Documents. <laughs> and he did. And then we got a lot, lot of access to a lot of other people's documents. And so then a tragedy happened. By that time, we was getting a lot of police reports and district attorney files in Louisiana Supreme Court. The, the DA's office realized, damn, we made a big mistake by giving them access to records. <laughs> and so in 1995, they passed a law that's declared all of us in prison, like Alvin and the rest of us, nine persons for the purpose of uh, uh, obtaining public records. So that left us all in the dark. Then I met a, um, a, um, a law student named Emily Bolton, and I explained to her, I said, we, we, we write all over the United States looking for help for those of us that's innocent, and we're not getting good response. When you graduate from Tulane University, would you start the Innocent Project? And she said, yes, I will. And she graduated, and she applied for a Sorrow Justice Fellowship Award, and she was granted that award to start the Innocent Project. But we were still considered nine persons. But they accepted my case and investigated my case. And as a result of the um, Open Society Institute, Sorrow Justice Fellowship, I was a recipient for, um, from the hard work of the Innocent Project. And in, in uh, January 7, 2011, I was released. But, But before I was released, I had another friend that was on death row. He had five life sentences and, and three death penalty. The five life sentence cases put him on death row, but one thing we couldn't get, I still couldn't get access, was that of his records. So before I left prison, the issue was, what I, his name is um, um, Juan Smith. He said, man, you're going to leave me here. I said, I'm going to leave you in good shape. Believe that. <laughs> So without his records, I wrote to the DA's office. The DA's office said, well, if you had $45, we'd give you your DA file. But Juan couldn't earn any incentive, incentive wages, and I definitely didn't have um, $45. But before I left, I filed a petition, and I, I characterized it as a Brady, a, a bare Brady claim. I said, I don't have his files, but I know it's something in them files the DA's office is holding. <laughs> so... He was getting 
close to being executed, and his lawyers started investigating the five life sentences. And they found all kinds of information that showed that Juan is possible and innocent for the five life sentences that put him on death row. And his case went to the United States Supreme Court in an 8-1 decision he won based upon that Bear Brady claim that was a stupid motion. So as you can see, I'm used to filing stupid motions. So when I got out, I said, man, how can I help these guys that I left behind? And so I, got, I was hired part-time at the Capitol Appeals Project. And at the same time, I was, I was trying to figure out how can I get them the DA files. Because I wasn't a person to get my own files. Because the law said I wasn't a person. But now I'm free. And I am a person. So... I discovered that I could go to the Fifth Circuit, print cases, and mail them. And then some, one of the law students that, at the, uh, at, that was interned um, at the Capitol Appeals Project said, Calvin, you, you know anything about emailing? <laughs> I said, no, teach me how to email. <laughs> so I, I started emailing updated cases to the director of the legal program at Angola and said, look, provide these updated cases to the inmate lawyers so they could better prepare pleadings. And that went on for a while. And then at the same time, me working as a paralegal and me running errands for the guys in prison, I say, well, the lady that I work for, she, I, th I think she know what I'm doing. <laughs> so we had to figure out how can I continue to help the guys get access to um, records and also do my job. And then I applied, as Emily Bolton did, for Sorrow Justice Fellowship to continue my work. <laughs> and I was granted that fellowship. I still, as fate had have it, I was, and that gave, and that has given me 18 months to work with all the inmate lawyers, make sure that they prepare proper pleadings, that they don't have to rely on updated or uh, outdated law, and to give me the best privilege that I've ever had after I got released. I was able to walk in the district attorney's office. With, a, with my scan in hand, because I, I don't have no money to pay for the documents, so I bring this scanner. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's really a printer. That's what it is, a printer, but I call it a scanner. And so I walked in the DA's office with my scanner. The building, this office that I've always wanted to be in, because they got all that information to, to exonerate people, and they won't share it with me or uh, with everybody else. So with my scanner, I walked to the, and I said, I'm here, um, Calvin Duncan. And all of them know me, they say, because they knew my case. And I said, I, I come here to scan, scan some records. And so they brought me to the third floor, and I plugged up my scanner, and I started scanning <laughs> records. And so while I was scanning the records, I said, you know, something feel good to be a person. <laughs> it, that, it actually did. And so now when I go to the DA office, all I'm looking, he said, that's that spy. He's spying on us. <laughs> and I say, oh, that's a service. This, this, to serve others mean, that's what the law means to me, to be able to serve others. And I do it with so much enthusiasm. And I love serving people. I've always done that. And I admire all the lawyers in here that actually do it. But one thing I want you all to remember, how, much, how privileged you all 
are to have that access to updated legal material, and that the guys on the inside, what they refer as jailhouse lawyers, are actually doing the best that they could with the resource that they have, and they continue to do what I did, which is file stupid motions. <laughs> Thank you. That was Calvin Duncan sharing his story at our Live Law event in Albuquerque. Live Law is a production of Life of the Law and is produced by Mary Adkins and Jonathan Hirsch. Our Live Law theme was composed by Yasha Hoffman. Stay tuned next week when we'll launch our new Live Law podcast series with our second storyteller, Tony Tyler. We walked a couple of streets up to the main street of that area and we noticed something that I had never seen before and probably never will see again. There was a kiki of sorts happening. There was a large group of probably 25 or 30 drag queens of color in the street having the biggest street fight you've ever seen in your life. Thanks for listening.